1: All right. Uh, My name is Rich Schmidt. I'm here with Bree Stock. We're at the Nicholson Library at Linfield. It's May 29th, 2019. Uh, And we'll start you off by asking you, why wine?
0: Why wine? There is uh, so many answers to that question. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It wasn't always wine, I guess. I began, or I got into this industry, really uh, through hospitality, um, working as a in a restaurant uh, while I was in Vancouver, British Columbia, um, Canada, not Washington, not Washington. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and you know, I was I was studying theater there, and so you know, acting and um, theater was really my first path um and as so many actors end up in restaurants you know there it's a very flexible schedule and um, you can trade off with other <laughs> upcoming wannabe <laughs> actors <Yeah. laughs> um and it was really in uh, the restaurant at the fish house in stanley park and the cannery restaurants where i um first encountered what i would call my first mentor in wine who mm-hmm. was um barbara phillip who was canada's First female MW. She wasn't an MW when I started working there, um, but she had a very comprehensive global list, and um, it was very you know exciting for me um, being a girl from Australia who has um, you know traveled across the world and and finally has access to all of these international wines, um, and so it was just the combination of. You know hospitality, you know greeting people, speaking with people, and then also having a mentor who brought in a lot of the winemakers to speak to us about how to sell the wines you know what um, you know what was happening in the vineyard in that vintage and it just for me opened a doorway of um, really adventure and, and exploration and you know Australians we love to travel so For me it was it was just another pathway to exploring the world Mm -hmm. and and traveling Um, and that was really where i started my uh, my career in in wine and sort of theater started to drift away a little bit as i started to become you know a certified sommelier Mm -hmm. and then the wine and spirit education trust courses um, and working my way up um, from a hostess in the front of the restaurant through all of the serving positions and um, bar positions in the restaurant, and up to sommelier. Mm-hmm. Okay.
1: Was there? What was the? What was? Was there a motivation behind that education? Was there a time when you decided, I'm going to do wine? I need to get more educated in it, or did it just kind of happen naturally?
0: It just, it just really happened naturally as a way to further understand where wine came from, the history of the global wine regions, the classics, typicity of wine styles, typicity of place, you know, winemaking, for me it was just really a fascinating beverage that spoke to you know, each, each year is different, so you get a snapshot into the year, you get a snapshot into the culture of the people, um, a snapshot into that economy, the history of a region, you know, the food of a region. I, you know, I love the, you know, that phrase, um, you know, local, you know, that, that think local if you're pairing wines, you know, what grows local, so. True.
1: So once you started down the path, take us kind of take us through the path from uh, sort of discovering wine in Vancouver to how you got to where you are now.
0: Yeah, um, I probably didn't discover wine in Vancouver. (laughs) I am Australian.
1: (laughs) Fair point, sorry. Inspired by wine. Yeah, inspired by
0: wine in Vancouver. Yeah, I mean, um, you know, in Australia, I guess I was... um, focused very much on Shiraz and and some of those varieties, um, and I also was, you know, my mother and I, you know, the legal drinking age in Australia is 18, so my mother and I would go for weekends away traveling to wine regions, so I spent time on the Mornington Peninsula and the Yarra Valley, so I had a, you know, a interest Mm -hmm. from my from my mother drinking wine um, and that connection there and then when i got to vancouver just seeing the diversity because australia being a one of you know the largest wine production countries um, really didn't export or import quite a lot of wines they also have high Import taxes mm-hmm. on wine. So, um, for me, when I got to Vancouver, it was just you know a, a treasure chest of you mm-hmm. know what was available from all over the world. And when you have a, you know a curator of a wine list who is you know so exploratory and and diverse and and confident, and also has a background in you know in the arts and literature. Um, you end up with a very, you know, complex wine list that you can sort of study and and take your, take your way through each country mm-hmm. around the world. And so for me, you know, learning the history of, of Italy and how that's different to France and Spain and all of the factors that impact their wine industries historically play out in the glass in front of you. Mm-hmm. And so for me, it was it was really just chasing wines down the rabbit hole, <laughs> you know, every every region, every country mm-hmm. is just a rabbit hole, and that's really what I fell in love with, you know, it's, it, you just travel constantly in wine, and you don't even have to leave your backyard, really. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so, as you were working towards becoming a sommelier, what were some of the, were there sort of um, seminal experiences for you, where it was like, uh, I am. I, I now. I, I kind of understand this, or I kind of get this, or this is this is what I want to do for the rest of my life, kind of thing. or Was it? Uh, was there a moment when you just decided? wine is it?
0: I'm. I guess I probably have an obsessive personality, and so um, yeah, it was just everything started falling away once I started. You know the the wine and spirit education trust programs really start taking you through mm-hmm. the steps very logically, and so while you start as a beginner trying to understand red wine, white wine, and the major grape varieties, the noble varieties, you know you accelerate quite quickly through the program, and so for me it was it was just following that next step and. Mm-hmm. Um, and then each discipline, whether it was being a certified sommelier or the, sommelier, the International Sommelier Guild diploma um, and the WSET Level 3 advanced, they all touch on the same components and content, but they're expressed in slightly different ways and from slightly different focuses um, from each mm-hmm each certification so you know the WSET is very much based on you know assessing quality uh, and price and typicity Uh, and the sommelier is is also about that as well but then there's the service aspect which I really enjoyed and understanding the history of service Mm -hmm. and the understanding the history of these positions Um, Mm -hmm. you know these buyers that would source wines from all over the world for the you know for the kings and queens of, of the areas or the, you know, manor, the manor houses um, and that for me was you know just a lot a lot of fun again to explore and, and to take a look at different certification mm-hmm. um, areas.
1: So what made you choose at least to, for now to settle in Oregon?
0: Um, hmm (laughs) you know for me Oregon is a dynamic industry Uh, it's still relatively young it's only 50 years old and it's still quite small Um, but the rapid growth that has occurred here in the last decade you know leads me to believe that that's not going to stop the size of the region the U.S. being the largest wine market in the world currently, um, also means that you know it's a it's a very good place for for a dynamic growing wine mm-hmm. economy to happen. Um, and the industry here, you know, is maybe was maybe slightly more community based, is now starting to become an industry. And so with that comes all of the challenges and growing pains of a, of a growing industry or a um, you know an artisan or boutique region becoming an industry Mm -hmm. you know and and the professionals that then come with that to Mm -hmm. the region um i also absolutely adore pinot noir and chardonnay and i've always been you know pulled to those wines whether it's you know the complex the complexities of understanding burgundy and all of its you know Uh, or you know the Australian and New Zealand cool climate regions um, for a pin that are really well suited to Pinot Noir and Chardonnay and the different clonal variations that appear in each and how everything is expressed in the glass and um, you know for me I look for naturalness in my wines and uh, transparency of place and I think that Oregon is one of those places that, you know, exhibits that transparency of place in the glass and distinctiveness and, and high quality. So, I mean, I don't want to work in a region that doesn't have high quality wines and doesn't have ambition. And, um, you know, for me, it's all, it's about continuing that growth and continuing to have these producers in the region excel and trying to help them along with that. So the role that I took with the Oregon Wine Board um, Education Manager um, for me was really an ideal position um, in terms of it's almost a replica of the Master of Wine exam, you know? my, My role with the industry is industry education and trade education, so I get to continue to you know, focus on viticulture and enology, and I also get to work in the business side, and I also get to continue my teaching and lecturing that has been a big part of my life and that I really love and enjoy. So you know, <laughs> why why Oregon? There's you know so so many reasons, <laughs> but really it was a yeah perfect lining up of you know of the stars. True. Um, and now I'm married to an Oregonian, so I will hopefully be here for, for quite a while.
1: <laughs> uh, you mentioned uh, the growing pains of a, of a quickly growing region, and, and sort of the way that people like you are brought in to help with some of those. Uh, tell me about some of the growing pains that you're seeing and some of the ways that you're working to help with those.
0: Yeah, so I mean the growing pains of a region are <sighs> duplicitous there's there's you know the growth of of vineyards um, and understanding growth of vineyards in a changing climate Mm -hmm. Um, also uh, with additional you know people coming into the marketplace uh, more vineyard land um, being planted Um, what are the economics of of scale for the region Mm -hmm. you know how much how much forty-five-dollar Pinot Noir can you know a region really support? Mm-hmm. So it's looking at those types of economies um, from you know vineyard management, um, quality of winemaking—is everything of the highest quality, or you know—is where are the quality factors here? So mm-hmm. you know, I think that there's um, challenges in in. In all of those areas, in terms of selling fruit, what grape varieties to plant? Mm-hmm. Should there be such a focus on a single variety? You know, there's not too many places in the world that are dominated by a single variety, mm-hmm. and is that a safe bet? I mean, there's you know there's a lot of instances or you know that you can link to that suggest that that there should be more diversity. Mm-hmm. Um so trying to bring up some of these observations and and caution caution retails mm-hmm. and getting people to to think about diversifying maybe not only their vineyards but their winemaking styles, their price points, their channels of distribution. Mm-hmm. Um, you know Oregon is very heavily focused on local direct to consumer sales. Um, that's a challenge when you know your state isn't a very highly populated state and and Portland you know the Oregon business um, isn't isn't particularly friendly to big business so you know Mm -hmm. how do you tap into you know the markets north and how do you deal with consolidation of distributors Um, how do you how do you continue to make high quality wine when you're getting you know, more fruit on the vine because of good vintages, better farming practices? You've now got more wine in the cellar to sell. You know, how is everything keeping up with the status quo of what the region was created on? And if it's not, then how do, how do you try to get it focused again or diversify?
1: It's a lot. It's yeah, a lot. it's a lot to think about.
0: Yeah, it's a lot. Also, you know the challenging labor climate. I mean, how difficult is it to get pickers? You know, in a in a place where you know the average person here is doesn't want to be a grape picker or work in a vineyard. Um, so it tends to be you know a little more transient or. Mm-hmm. Um, how, you know, how, does, how does that affect the industry? How, does, how is the labor market affected when everything is a single grape variety that ripens at the same time and you're, you're getting a diminished number of labor force? Um, you know, the, these are all things that you need to think about in a growing industry. Is it going to continue to satisfy um, just one, one price of single grape variety
1: do you find that a lot of what you're working on is um, are are you taking it to the wine industry and kind of educating or are you responding to questions and issues that they bring to you
0: I think both. Uh, I bring a lot of global perspective uh, from my work in Australia and also spending a lot of time in London and in Europe, um, importing wines from Europe and understanding their qualities, standards and pricing. Um, so I try to bring a lot of global Perspective at the same time, you know, immediate needs need to be met as well. So it's, you know, really trying to address those um, and also not being focused on a single region within Oregon um, because I do work for the Oregon Wine Board and so it needs to be, you know, I need to be trying to address as many um, education points that really fit the entire industry, not just one portion of the industry. Um, that said, high tides raise all ships, and so you sort of, you know, you need to have an ambitious um, mm-hmm. you know, education curriculum. Uh, and we try to do that through the symposium, uh, the Oregon Wine Symposium, which I put together. So, you know, I take a lot of input from uh, my education committee, which are members of the um, state, so whether they're producers themselves or viticulturists or uh, working in national sales or in marketing, uh, I take all of this input and the feedback that we get from as we're doing listening tours around the state and as we're looking at survey comments from past symposia, um, really trying to assess the the immediate needs, what we can deliver at a two-day symposium and then, yeah, what other workshops can we put in place as well.
1: Sure as you're listening and as you're especially as you're traveling around and getting perspectives from around the state, what is your general what is the general feeling about Oregon wine from the inside right now? Are people mostly concerned? are they happy are they are they worried about something in particular? are they pushing for certain things that you're trying to address? I mean I know, I know it's a big question, but I'm just sort of curious how the industry feels about itself right now from your perspective
0: uh, yeah I mean' that's, that's a really <laughs> That's that's a complex question, especially with all the Senate bills that are going on at the moment, so I maybe won't speak to those specifically, um, except to say that some of that is creating um, some disruption in in an industry that was previously very um, community, collaborative driven, there's maybe some... um, you know, misunderstanding and mm-hmm. and um, disruption going on in with in regard to those, um, but generally speaking, I would say that the industry, um, while. Positive and buoyant at the amount of uh, good press that Oregon is receiving um, nationally and internationally, mm. um, is also uh, fairly concerned about the um, current state of the market. Uh, there's a lot of fruit on on the market. There's a lot of vineyards that have been planted. It's I you know I think the industry's. Doubled or tripled since 2009 in terms of producers, Um, so there's you know there's much higher competition than there's ever been. Mm -hmm. Um, There is consolidation among distribution Mm -hmm. in the U.S. There's a reluctancy to export. Um, So for me, I, I. I find that there's still positivity definitely here and um, excitement around what could be done. It's just also trying to deal with some of the day-to-day realities of of selling fruit, selling grapes, and selling wine. Mm -hmm. And how do you keep, um, keep those connections and relationships in, distribution or direct-to-consumer sales when you have a shifting uh, demographic, the baby boomers, which, you know, is is the future of the industry going to be the older white guy in the golf shirt that it's been, you know, portrayed to be so lo- for so long and um, collecting wine for his cellar? Uh, you know at the moment it suggests not, so how you know that's that's a change that mm-hmm. the industry has to has to really address and deal with mm-hmm. um, and be the industry needs to become more dynamic, um, a little more responsive, uh, think more creatively and and look outside itself a little more
1: so in what with your international experience and your and your education experience. What is it that you are hoping to impart you you have that and what is it from the global perspective that you can bring to Oregon wine to help them kind of help kind of guide the ship?
0: Uh, I'd like to see the industry um, have a better understanding of, of quality and price ratios for the market. I'd like to see um, a better, understanding of needing to be globally relevant not just domestically relevant Um, and as i think we're seeing that sort of dynamic that change happening in how many vineyards there are planted and how much fruit is out there. Um, there's going to need to be some rationalizing of um, brands and styles um, within the domestic market. Um, I would like to see a little you know, more perspective given to the whole of Oregon um, and how do we uh, as a state, raise quality levels, um, you know continue to get messaging out, uh, be perceived on the global and national market as more than just a single grape variety. Um, these are These are going to be important things in the future, especially if favor turns away from said grape variety.
1: <laughs> <laughs> sure, sure. <laughs> So, I'll talk a little bit about your personal education experience as you've gone through um, sommelier education, master of wine education, all the W set. Um, especially about the specifically about the master of wine. I'm kind of curious what the process was like for you and what the what the benefits you feel like you've gotten out of that.
0: The process. Um was harrowing and uh, you know I think it's it's the one I mean there's probably others but it's the one program that you learn so much about yourself and um, how how you respond to certain pressures and um, how tenacious you are and you know it's it's a very Big commitment.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, it's such a comprehensive program um, in terms of the, the depth of understanding that you need to have in every discipline of the wine trade um, and of the wine industry. I'm, you know, coming from a sommelier background and a sales background, you know, I was a um, national sales manager, I was a, you know, buyer for restaurants, a buyer for an importer portfolio, so um, from that perspective, my, I guess my palette was probably pretty sharp mm-hmm. going in, having a lot of, um, knowledge of, of international wine regions and of quality um, for tasting mm-hmm. so the you know the 36 blind wines that you need to assess um, is definitely a big part of the, of the hurdle for that most people um, really struggle to to pass and that's probably where the majority of people get stuck in the master of wine exam is you know struggling with timing you mm-hmm. have you know less than two minutes to be able to assess and define and know what the wine is and talk about the vintage grape variety winemaking place of production and market considerations for the wine so there's it's a a very in-depth and you need to be able to assess very quickly and have very good deductive skills and critical thinking um so that for me was a real pleasure i enjoyed that because it was just turning up the volume on almost what I had done my entire life, you know. Um, but understanding viticulture and enology at that level was something that I hadn't, you know, i I understood the basics of winemaking, malolactic fermentation, and you know all of all of the basics mm-hmm. and um, different styles of creation. But I didn't understand um, the science behind it, and uh, you know the thousands of different rootstocks and when they should be applied, and you know all of the other considerations that go into designing and building a successful vineyard. Um, you know, assessing a region. Um, asses- you know, assessing wine in barrel versus wine in tank, and how you process it when it comes in. Um, how to how to bottle and handle finished wine. You know quality control points along the way. QAQC was probably the like worst paper I've ever written. It's so <laughs> boring, <laughs> but so important. So so all of the the production side was um, a learning curve for me. And um, and then it changes. You know depending on the region and and where you're where you're going to school, and so, you know, Roseworthy in Australia, obviously a very big, important winemaking university, the same as Davis in the U.S., mm-hmm. very technical, you know, so very, you know, I could, I could get from Australian winemakers, and for the most part U.S. winemakers, a very technical. Um, assessment of making wine and all the points that I'd want to check along the way in terms of chemistries that won't lead to spoilage Um, but then moving to the old world or you know Europe is is a completely different construct where they're dealing with tradition and a lot of them have just learned from winemaking from their parents or grandfathers Um, and then universities like you know University of Dijon and Bordeaux and um, you know going into specific grape varieties where they're very focused on regional style and and preference um, in those areas so it that was a really big learning curve that I absolutely loved and the only way I did that was to actually go and make wine and make wine in Europe where I didn't speak the language of all the time and so I made, I did multiple harvests around the world in Spain, in Austria, um, in Georgia and um, yeah really just learned um, from them all of the different considerations for fruit picking, for harvest conditions, for processing fruit um, and that for me was, you know, it that informed my Palette so much um, that then when I sat the exams, um, I was fortunate enough to to pass both my theory and practical the first time I sat, so it was, um, you know, less than 1% of people who sit do that, and, you know, of the exam itself, you know, it's... um, less than 10% actually even become an MW who start the process. So it's, yeah, it's a, it's a long journey, but dealing with all of those facts and figures as you're going through, knowing that this is probably, you know, the, the majority of people who enter this program do not succeed mm-hmm. in it, <laughs> you know? How do you, how do you deal with that? You're, you know, it's, it was almost like becoming a, I don't know, sports therapy or something to try and get yourself, you know, through these mental hurdles and physical hurdles of doing four days of exams, both practical um, and theory. Uh, you know, I would I would get hand massages in between, <laughs> like on my lunch break so that I could, you know, continue in the afternoon and write the theory exam. So now they can do it on laptops, but <laughs> yeah, but it was a challenge. It was a fantastic experience and I was, Very happy when I completed it, um, but I was also a little sad because I had gotten into that really severe discipline Mm -hmm. uh, of of that, you know, like you're training for a marathon Mm -hmm. because, you know, I was running a tasting and theory, (laughs) tasting an academic (laughs) marathon. Yeah, it was fun.
1: (laughs) And what are the benefits you've felt? From that, from completing that and having that certification, what is what has it brought to your life and your job?
0: Oh, just you know, greater understanding of of all of the things that I loved about wine to begin with. Um, also, some greater frustrations <laughs> about seeing those present in the glass and things like that. Um, but also just the the amazing network of masters of wine that I have around the world, and master sommeliers, you know, we're very, very similar in our um, disciplines. Um, So having that community has been an absolutely fantastic and benefit that I, you know, really, really cherish in, Mm -hmm. in my life. The ability to drop into wine regions and, you know, have have everything you know it's like the wizard of oz you know or that curtain comes aside and and you can talk about everything to everyone um so you know it's been that that entry and gateway to the thing that i love most and enjoy most in life and then so master of wine has given me that access point mm. and and a support network of other Cockdorks who you know who are completely obsessed with this product.
1: <laughs> you mentioned traveling around and, and working in various regions to get a to get a grasp on these things. Was there a, were there particular experiences or particular places you visited that were of some special importance to you? There mem- memories you look back on as kind of um, uh. incredibly exciting or or happy or.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, working in the Douro, in, in Portugal, uh, you know, it's, it's a UNESCO World Heritage Site, the terraced vineyards there, uh, you know, that were created by Romans, and um, following the, you know, the river back into Spain, and, and see, you know, connecting that history um, all the way back into Spain, um, it was really, you know exciting for me all of the grape varieties that are in the Douro Valley the you know the style of wine that was created port you know pre-refrigeration you know it was wine that had to be stable enough to get across to the ex- its major market which was England and so how you know a country outside of the region can create an entire brand and style of wine, um, in, a, in a specific place in time, um, it, you know, it, having those experiences and the and the history connected to that, and just the beauty of the region, <laughs> was was just stunning. And also, that's a region that's now struggling with its product not being relevant in today's marketplace. I mean, who wants to drink a twenty percent alcohol sweet wine, sweet red wine, you know, (laughs) not many people. So, so you know, the way that they are now turning to making red and white table wines from the traditional port varieties um, is really fascinating and, and exciting to see how these great varieties really express themselves when they're allowed to have that entire journey of fermentation, chemistries mm-hmm. to dryness present in the glass. And there's some amazing wines being made um you know following following the grape variety, you know, um, bastardo um, from Portugal, uh, you know, in the Dow in the Douro, into Spain, mm-hmm. you know, where it's Mentia, and then into into the Jura, you know, there's all these connections of you see cultural connections everywhere. So um, for me working with specific grape varieties in different places and mm-hmm. seeing how climate soil culture impacts that style of of wine from that specific grape variety is really really fascinating um you know working in the Mosul on these you know, like 50 60 degree slopes that you you can't get machinery up you know it's having cramps in your calf muscles from having to pick the grapes in the rain and get them down to the winery and then working all night to get them processed and you know, living off of three hours sleep for weeks at a time is, um, you know, is special memories that I have of working in, in regions with, you know, in vintages that were, you know, maybe almost compromised by rain or by the, you know, impending weather. So, yeah, there's a lot of special areas. Georgia, I
1: mean. The the birthplace. The
0: birthplace of of wine, yeah. And, you know, seeing all of those amazing varieties and, and a cultural tradition, which we tend not to you know, make anymore, you know, which we're now seeing, you know, some of the, you know, new, the new younger futurists or, you know, the new zeitgeist of winemakers are starting to make skin contact wines, but, you know, thinking about that process of before mechanization comes into a region, what is, what is the traditional Pure natural way that these wines presented themselves, and what have we lost over time in terms of flavor and longevity because of technology and a homogeneity or a, you know a homogenous approach towards processing of wine? Mm-hmm. What are you know what have we lost? That's a that's an interesting concept to me for, for wine and I loved I loved working in Georgia for those reasons mm-hmm. um, it was just constantly challenging all of the status quos that I'd always you know that I've always been taught and taught to think about wine in um, you know and then having one of those wines show up in the blind paper on the on the MW exam you know was was a you know fantastic you know,
1: Synchronicity. or
0: yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. So, uh, awesome experiences. That's just that's amazing. I'm um, to talk about wine judging a little bit, mm-hmm. and and the, sort of the process of uh, what it, what it means to you to be a wine judge, and sort of what you what it what you look for in a great wine when you're judging, and how you go through the process of that.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, So in Australia, um, the Australian Wine Research Institute uh, has a program um, that certifies you to become a wine judge and it's a week-long program um, where you blind taste, where you judge wines consistently um, every day across multiple varieties and multiple regions. they throw the same wines back into mixed flights so that they can measure your um, consistency of marking mm-hmm. the same for those wines. Whether you know whether you're getting a wine that has more acid before it, or so you really have to learn to understand the role that sugar and acid and phenolics and tannins um, play in wines. Um, when you're you know when you're looking at them blind and and judging them and assessing for quality um so that was i did i did that program in 2007 i think and so started doing local show judging um, when i was living in melbourne and working as an importer and sommelier then and um you know have continued to you know move internationally into judging and so um what I tend to look for uh, is integrity and quality. I want, um, if I'm judging a Pinot Noir flight, I want it to look like Pinot Noir. It needs <laughs> to have some typicity of, of the grape variety. Um, and and then you look at the vintage, you know, how, how does this wine present if it's, you know, a 20, if it's a recent vintage, I want it to look young and fresh and tight. I don't want it to look tired and fading and oxidizing. Um, you know, so there's mostly quality parameters that I'm looking for, but it's, it's, t- it's typicity, um, first and foremost, quality of winemaking. I, you know, I don't want to see a lot of faults a little fault can be complexing and compelling in a wine that is complex, um, but not in simple, you know, everyday um, sub ten dollar or sub fifteen dollar wines. Mm-hmm. So it's understanding, you know, the complexities of what you're going for within a category, within a vintage, um, within a grape variety, and and then understanding winemaking ambition behind that um, you know there's a there we've gone through the phase where there's been you know very big high alcohols a lot of new oak in wines um, they're really difficult to judge and you know there can be a tendency in wine judging because you're tasting you know up to hundred and forty wines blind a day um, there can be a tendency to overlook the more delicate, ethereal wines in a flight, and uh, perhaps mark up the the high, you know, the more approachable, more obvious mm-hmm. wines. Um, but I feel like now there's enough. Um, I feel like now there's enough knowledge out there about the you know the cautions of doing that that people spend enough time within the bracket to really assess um is something is something actually delicate and complex and detailed or is it just you know maybe not so ripe or like lower (laughs) quality you know do i need to be giving a high score you know to a wine that is you know, really only showing me sweet fruit, alcohol, and oak. Well, where's the complexity in that? You know, where's the typicity? Where do I expect this wine to go? Mm-hmm. Um, so it's about judging within the category for for price point as well, um, and and then yeah, mostly style considerations. But I love you know I love judging internationally when I get to see other regions. Mm-hmm. Um, I love judging at Texom, I don't, you know, apart from Decanter, I don't think there's another judging opportunity globally that puts so many of the highest quality, you know, highest qualification professionals Mm -hmm. in a room to judge together and, you know, I mean, there, there are as many arguments in that room as there, as there are. You know, it's not like we all get along, um, but there is generally a big consistency um, among among the wines that get chosen, mm-hmm. um, and so that for me is is one of the best forums that I can, that I really look forward to judging in. Sure. Um, yeah, and and seeing other regions and how they're performing, it gets me outside of Oregon, uh, which is important. I yeah, I don't like to be in you know here in Oregon for too long, looking looking at only our our own wines. So um, tasting outside mm-hmm. my backyard is not getting a cellar palate is is very important.
1: <laughs> I'm curious when it comes to judging. This, pardon me, if this is an ignorant question on my behalf, but I'm curious if you're if you're expected to judge the wine, the grape, or are you expected to judge the winemaker? Is it is the idea, the complexity coming from the winemaker, or is it coming from the from the grape itself?
0: Well, I mean, it comes from both. You can't take winemaker out of the equation. I mean, when the date, when they pick the grape is the first instance of, mm-hmm. you know, winemaker intervention, and um, so, there, you know, I may be, I give high points to wines that I wouldn't necessarily drink um, because they're not my style of wine, but I have to be aware that that is a relevant and important style in the market and that there's a place for it. Mm -hmm. And the last thing that we want as judges is to have a world of coca-cola you know how boring would that be from a beverage that can give us so much so i think style of of winemaking needs to be secondary you need to be looking at the grape variety and region first Mm -hmm. Um, and taking into consideration the the, you know the region's limitations as well which sometimes is related to winemaking um, and experience of winemaker
1: Interesting. Okay. Um, I'm curious. Uh, a lot of the parts, that roles you've played in the industry, master of sommelier, master of wine, uh, tend to be male, male-dominated historically. I'm curious what your experience has been as a younger woman uh, coming up in that, uh, and and if you see that changing uh, in terms of more women entering those roles.
0: Yeah, I definitely see that changing. I think I think the mo- many of the recent, um, you know. Years of of Master of Wine candidates that are coming through are women passing. Um, I definitely see that changing, and I think that there's some mentorship going on in those roles as well. Um, I also think that it's a, a demographic of wine buyer that is changing, and so I think that there. I think those qualifications need to be mindful of being relevant. Um, in a changing market and industry as well. So I definitely see it changing and I think changing for the better with more women coming through. Um, I mean, yeah, how do you deal with it? Um, You learn not to be easily offended. You learn to uh, speak up and, and have your say at the table, you learn to um, create a space for you, for yourself. Um, often it can be harder worked for um, before you get the legitimacy that others were that other men may have that would just be awarded to them. Mm-hmm. Um, Yeah, I think the indus- I think, I think the world is changing. Thank goodness. <laughs> um, I think there's also some great male mentors out there as well. So you know, I'm. I don't want to, you know, tarnish the <laughs> <a> whole <laughs> genetic code. But <laughs> um, yeah, there's. You know, there's definitely. You, you get overlooked. You get put down. You get you know, claimed as just being one of the, one of the British say, a totty on the wine trip, you know, like, yeah, so, yeah, there's all of those things that, that you need to deal with, and, I don't know, you just play your own game, and continue to be at the table, and remind them that you're not going away, and just keep showing up, and and, yeah, behave with integrity, and and yeah have a joke with them every now and then if you know if it's not completely offensive <laughs> but i do for the most part think that it's really changing as as new generations come through and as more women are leaders of of wine you know wine lists you know mm-hmm. they they hold more positions of power within the wine industry there's more female winemakers there's you know, that we're still underrepresented and um, actually surprisingly um, severely underrepresented in Oregon compared to the rest of the world if, you're, if you look at some of the statistics so um, that's something that I think that Oregon needs to be aware of and needs to try to support a little more um, but I think overall the industry is definitely being more um, inclusive and, and diverse mm-hmm. and that will only help to improve the industry and serve it for longevity and mm-hmm. yeah but it's a challenge. I'm not gonna lie, it's a challenge.
1: <laughs> Were there times when it felt like it was too much of a challenge to deal with or did you always feel like you would get to the uh, in, to the your end goal?
0: Yeah I I don't really know when to back down, I don't think sometimes, so, no, I'm... I, I, there's definitely stressful times. Mm -hmm. I don't think there's ever been a time that I wanted to quit, or, um, quest, you know, question my place at the table. Mm -hmm. Um, I just, you know, that was what I wanted, and
1: Yeah. So what advice would you have someone who was interested in becoming a sommelier or a wine educator uh, who's entering into the wine industry now what, what would your advice be?
0: <laughs> be global mm-hmm. Taste widely Be objective um, Critical thinking is hugely important mm-hmm. for those roles um be inclusive be encouraging i mean this is you know you can we can get really serious about this beverage but you know at the end of the day it's a it, you know it, it gives us so much insight into into cultures and behaviors and seasons and yeah so so much that that you, you can get away you know that you can really explore um, show them show them the world mm-hmm. you know don't don't be limiting i think Excellent. yeah and find mentors in the industry and you know be aware that it's a um it's hard work it's hard work <laughs> um you know and also be aware that it's addictive you're going to i mean you know yes it is addictive <laughs> as well but um <laughs> there's you know it you really once you start learning about winemaking you want to make wine you know now i i've got wine in barrel it's like i i stopped moving long enough that i can do a harvest and and you know make wine and so all of these all, everything that you have access to just be aware that it's a, a fantastic opportunity there's a lot of avenues to go down
2: mm-hmm.
0: um, but it's yeah it's very very addictive <laughs> it's a great business you know it's a you get to deal with a lot of amazing people a lot of generosity um, but it, it's hard work and it's not well paid <laughs> Generally speaking. Generally speaking. Yeah. (laughs) You have to do it because you love it, Mm -hmm. you know. I think think you can see in wine when people aren't connected to it and when they're going through the motions. And I think there needs to be a genuine love and commitment Mm -hmm. to making good wine, to growing good wine, to selling wine, to teaching wine. Mm and having you know a, an understanding of of all of that keeping that in mind be humble
1: as, with, as with everything humility gets you a long way <laughs> yeah <laughs> so we talked a lot earlier about the some of the things you're seeing in the wine industry now some of the things that you're working on with all that in mind, what do you see the industry looking like in the next five, ten years? What do you see coming down the road? What are the what are the changes in, uh, that you are anticipating, or no changes? I guess. <laughs> I'm sure that's going to happen.
0: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I think it's already changes already here. Yeah, um, you know, we are seeing more outsiders coming into the industry. Mm-hmm. Um, they bring with them a lot of business perspective and professional perspective um, from different regions that make more diverse wines. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that we're going to see an expansion of price. Well, I hope that we will see an expansion of um, price points to market. Mm -hmm. Uh, I hope that we will see growth um, To the point that we can be more globally relevant. Mm -hmm. I hope that um, the industry responds to that. Um, I think that there is going to be, you know, we're already starting to see a shift um, of focus to other grape varieties, Mm -hmm. Um, not away from Pinot Noir, um, just an understanding that. You know, we know that Pinot Noir grows here um, and we know some great sites for it. I think that that is going to continue to define itself. Um, I think that we as an industry need to help um, define some of those quality standards for Pinot Noir. whether that's by AVA or I think that you know some of these AVAs are going to realize that maybe that's not the best grape variety for them Mm -hmm. and possibly return to some of the other white varieties that were planted or you know what's exciting is all of the diversity and um, Clonal material and mm-hmm. grape varieties that are now available mm-hmm. through FPS and um, the nurseries systems that that you can really bring you know into the bring diversity into the vineyard, bring diversity into the ABA and and I think that we're going to start to see. Some some more great varieties appearing, um, and I think that'll be beneficial for the industry, not only for you know visitors to wine country, but also for distribution. Mm-hmm. Um, I think more you know food friendly, slightly lower alcohol wines. You know there there is a trend away from less drinking. You know, um, I think we're still going to maintain our premium price point. But it can't be all of our market. It needs to be a portion of the market, mm-hmm. and we need to create or show that there are quality stepping stones for the market to understand. Um, you know, that's probably the only way that the category is going to expand, mm-hmm. because if you can't if you can't define Differences, you know, distinctiveness, then you're tr- trying to sell the same product to the, you know, with the same reasoning. Mm-hmm. So there's, yeah, I think there's going to be some some quality parameters, some volume growth, definitely. I mean, there's. Large California companies that have large tracts of land that are not yet planted, and you know, I'm sure they're not just going to sit on them. Um, I think mechanization is going to come to the industry mm-hmm. as well. Um, yeah, so I think that we'll we'll start to see more of that diversity happening. Um, I think other regions are going to receive more interest. You know, mm-hmm. you know, Texom southern oregon you know submitted wines for sampling you know for judging and the majority actually all most of the sommeliers the master sommeliers and mws in the room didn't even know that southern oregon existed let alone grew grapes (laughs) so you know we need to i think there'll be expansion into those regions i think that um, we need to get out there more we need to you know stop you know, stop so much of the focus internal and really look to, you know, out expanding our market presence in the U.S. and Canada and international markets. I think it's going to, I think it's going to really, you know, expand the market and really try to make us globally relevant. I think as a region, uh, I think, I think that new winemakers coming to the region are a good thing. I think creative thinking. Thinking outside the box is very important. (laughs) Um, Yeah, you know, I think also environmental causes are going to come up. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: We need to be more at the forefront of those changes. Um, I think we have been in the past, and I'm not sure if we're keeping up necessarily. Um, So I think that we just need to be. There's a lot of things to try to keep up with and try to learn and I think that you know we need to pick out a few key targets of what can really impact our place for quality wine and for quality production in the world. And yeah, grape varieties, wine quality, multiple sales points, price points.
1: So very, very little change overall is what you're saying. Very little change, much. <laughs> very little change. <laughs> when, you, when you talk about environmental causes specifically and, and how Oregon has been on the forefront in the past and maybe not so much right now, is there something in particular you're thinking of that we're, that we're falling short of at the moment or that you foresee on the horizon that needs to be dealt with?
0: Uh, I think that, you know, we just need to, we're a small industry, I think that we can Harness um, an expansion of, of knowledge around around grape growing mm-hmm. um, biodynamic principles organic farming regenerative practices you know we're seeing you know, less more we're seeing erratic rainfall we're seeing more drier vintages mm-hmm. um, you know how does how does that affect our growing region um, what are some of the tools that are being that are being used to you know, limit irrigation. Most of our vineyards are dry grown. Is that going to be possible in the future? If not, where are we getting water from? Um, you know, are we looking at no-till farming? Um, how are we using you know compost and teas and um, biochar? You know, how are we how are we preserving nutrients and um, and Soil erosion. I mean, you drive through this valley in the in the summer, and you know there's soil particles in the air. It's a haze, and it's not a lot from the wine industry, but increased clearing of land and mm. forest um, really impacts that, and is driving you know tractors through the vineyard and tilling soil, and where does that end up? You know where. What are the impacts for our future generations? We're a very young industry. We need to be mindful of the generations to come and and prepare for that. You know, I think the consumer is more aware of what's in their food generally. I think that um, I think that one of the one of the great things that Um, Oregon could do would be to try to promote ingredient labeling for wines you know more transparency we've seen one of the Senate bills um, based around transparency um, of AVA of varietal content Mm -hmm. why are we limiting I mean that's to some extent marketing Mm -hmm. Um, and I don't necessarily agree that legislation should be used as a marketing tool Um, But if you're going to go there, then do something meaningful, Mm -hmm. you know, really be transparent and that's going to create some quality stepping stones for an industry, you know, how much tartaric acid am I adding to my Pinot Noir? How much sugar in a cold year? you know, what am i adding, adding mega, mega purple who's adding mega purple you know am i adding powdered tannin you know what are the what's really being used in the processing of a natural or a perceived natural sure. product because a certain level of consumer is going to want to know that and we're seeing that play out in grocery i mean it was a, a decade ago we didn't have organic you know, mm-hmm. canned food from Safeway and Fred Meyer. I think it's naive for us to think that it's not going to expand to beverages as well. I mean, we even saw Budweiser during the, you know, what was it, the Super Bowl, mm-hmm. put, in, put ingredient labeling up on their Budweiser can. How long is it for wine? And, you know, what are we hiding? if we, What are you not proud of if you're not prepared to put it on the label? Mm-hmm. I think glyphosate's another thing, you know, using Roundup in your vineyard, you know, there's you know, lawsuits around that at the moment. How long until a wine industry is sued for that? Mm-hmm. You know? Not saying that, you know, that, that's Oregon's place, but I'm just speaking globally, you know, that globally as well, that these are things that Oregon as a small industry could actually really impact change on and also, uh, you know, validate the price of its wine. It can really Mm -hmm. set itself apart uh, by implementing some of these practices. And it may not be, uh, you know, a standard, but it could be a logo or similar. Mm -hmm. Um, But there needs to be, you know, some clear quality differentiations happening Mm. that people understand. People don't understand ABAs and you know creating more AVAs is great but people still need to find oregon mm-hmm. and then the willamette valley you know it's a big wine world out there
1: it <laughs> <laughs> doesn't always feel that way from in here but with your perspective it does feel that way yeah exactly yes. <laughs> exactly <laughs> so let's talk about you yourself then as you look into the future like you said you're recently married and congratulations i uh, married yeah. to an oregon winemaker um, what do you see yourself in the next 10 15 years
0: Hmm. Well, hopefully, continuing here my work in Oregon with the board, I'm really enjoying that. For now, um, I think it's going to, you know, continue to expand the industry, um, and we'll hopefully be able to expand more players in the in the you know board perspective as well. Um, I think yeah you know i'm enjoying discovering wine making and being able to play with that um, on a more permanent level as opposed to just flying in and doing harvest so that's exciting for me um, definitely focusing on um, playing with varieties making varieties that are um, not going to um, compete with pinot noir unless it's a very you know meaningful story um, you know, we bought a house recently and there was an acre and a half of Pinot Noir planted on the property and it came straight out <laughs> of the ground. <laughs> so um, yeah, you know, I, I think the, that I will be very um, intentional about what I'm working with. Mm-hmm. Um, and trying to tell some of those stories um, about Transparency and what else could be accomplished mm-hmm. here? Um, finding some, you know, other ABAs for different grape varieties is something that mm-hmm. is appealing. Um, you know, expanding the clonal selection of Pinot Noir, expanding, expanding the diversity of the region. You know, making the region, trying to make the region a little more viable. You know, as it as it continues to grow. Mm-hmm. Um, Definitely playing around, I would like to also play with, continue to make wine in other regions as well, so I don't know how that works, but <laughs> in an ideal world, you know, I am Australian, I could maybe do both harvests and, mm-hmm. um, and create some, some wines that way. Uh, yeah, I have good friends in Spain and Italy, and would love to, you know, do some collaborative work and share some of that, you know, the cultural experiences and and bring in some of those. Um, yeah, I will see. We'll see. There's lots. There's lots to contemplate and play with. But yeah, playing with you know more varieties is definitely something that is of interest to me. I think that. You know, we have some really promising varieties in Southern Oregon and in the Gorge um, as well. And I think some of those varieties are starting to make their way into the valley, into the Willamette Valley. So that's exciting. Um, and just, yeah, seeing seeing what elevations can be planted, what new sites within the Willamette Valley are suited to different grape varieties. You know, that, that way AVA's have meaning. If you're an AVA that makes amazing mentheia, or you know, um, Trousseau Noir, Cabernet Franc, you know, Vermentino. I love some of the Italian um, wines that are coming out of Southern Oregon, that diurnal temperature shift down there is really um, is really great for preserving the acidities in these natural acidic varieties, you know, Vermentino and Sangiovese and Barbera and Malbec. I think they're they're making some, you know, there's some really fun, exciting wines coming out of those regions down there. I'd like to see the same um, begin to happen up, up here where, you know, we're seeing some interesting clonal selections coming through from Chardonnay, um, you know, some of the original um, founders mm-hmm. are, you know, now playing around with great varieties other than Pinot Noir and Pinot Gris and Chardonnay. So, I think that's. I, th- I think I'll continue to try to, you know, find vineyards who are planting, or encourage growers to work with multiple varieties. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, hedge their bets a little more. If you're not, you know, if if the vineyard isn't producing amazing Pinot Noir, then let's let's consider other other things. Let's you know consider other things that you can still get a high price point for. Mm-hmm. Um, I would like to see yeah, site site specificity and AVA specificity for grape varieties um, within the region. Mm-hmm. So, I'll be seeking out some of those.
1: (laughs) So, if you don't mind me asking, if it's not a trade secret, what did you plant instead of Pinot Noir on your land?
0: We didn't plant anything. Oh,
1: nothing yet, okay. nothing yet. Okay.
0: Yeah. It's, uh, for us it's more important uh, that the current farmers and growers out there are going to be sustainable as a business model. Mm -hmm. Um, So, we would rather work with them to transfer Across um, graft over to other varieties mm-hmm. that will will pay them the same as pinot noir for.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, I don't see any sustainability in plummeting, you know, price pinot noir prices mm-hmm. um, because there's a glut on the market. Mm-hmm. So um, for me, I would like to see those that have invested in the region that are so important to our region already continue to be successful and sustainable and so maybe that's, you know, offering some education in that direction and whether that's, you know, I do that one-on-one through a wine business, um, through making wine myself is is an opportunity. Mm-hmm.
1: Sure. Okay. Well, with all the questions that I have prepared for you, um, this is your chance here at the end. Is there anything I should have asked that I didn't or anything else you'd like to talk about? Or if you guys have any questions. Okay. <laughs> okay.
0: January, I was in a career exploration in the wine industry class. It's only for a month. Mm-hmm. So what we would do is we'd go out to a bunch of different inter- like places, kind of like this, and interview people of the wine industry. And like every place we went to, we have to like tell the people what we want to do. And I'd say I want to be a wine educator, and they would always be like, Oh, save that for the end of your career when you're older. Like, is the do you agree with that? Is that- like is that definitely not no i like that doesn't sound accurate at all no i'm i mean the industry is growing you know we we are attracting more people I, I don't think a wine educator position is is an end of your career position at all i think as our avas continue to grow i think we'll see more educator positions Popping up in AVA positions, I think as the consumer interest in wine, in fermented beverages in general, continues to grow, I think that we'll see a need for you know wine educators uh, for consumers as well. <laughs> I mean, you look at you look at Napa Valley, and there's you know, I think almost nearly every winery has a wine educator, you know. Um, I think these are all stepping stones into, into, you know, a more focused education career as well. There's WSET expanding here. Um, Our industry needs professionals and education, wine education, when we're a wine region that focuses on direct-to-consumer sales and selling wine. I think, if anything, educators are going to become more important so in cool. in the industry. Thank you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Stick with it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they're from the old generation. Just yeah. tell them. Yeah. <laughs> tell them they're out of touch. <laughs>
1: anything else from, that you would like to mention here at the end? Anything else I, I should have asked about or? Forgot to talk about? Oh boy! <laughs> we covered a lot. We covered a lot.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. I think we've. I think we covered a lot. Okay. okay. Yeah.
1: <laughs> well, thank you so much for your time and for all your thank answers you. and for your thoughts. And this is actually one of the more thought-provoking interviews we've had in a while. A lot, a lot of new stuff today that I hadn't really thought much about. So thank you so much. Great. And we'll uh, we'll let you off the hook. My pleasure. Thank you.